children are not just consumers, but they are producers. That's what we would like to say in our film world. The current scenario is such that mm. they are producers, not just of content, but they are equally involved and engaged to bring transformation. This is something that we need to understand. Welcome to the Lausanne Movement Podcast, where we have a passion to accelerate global mission together. I am your host, Jason Watson, and over the next few weeks, we will be taking a look at significant shifts that impact global mission. In each episode, I will be talking to Dr. Matthew Nierman, the director of the Lausanne Movement's forthcoming State of the Great Commission report, who will provide a brief overview of the shift at hand and will draw from research that has been done and note key data points that we should be looking at. After that, we'll then hear from an expert on the topic. Looking forward to 2050, major economic and population demographic changes promise to shape global culture. As the church faithfully lives out the Great Commission in a contextualized way, we must ask, what are the effects of the new emerging demographics? So for today's podcast, we're joined by Pearl Ganter, who helps us think more practically about the opportunities that lie before us as a church as we consider how we best reach and minister to the next generation. Let's begin with some framing insights from Dr. Matthew Nieman. Well, Dr. Matthew Nieman, welcome back to the podcast. It's great to have you with us. Yeah, thanks. Good to be with you again, Jason. So in this series, we've been unpacking shifts that are affecting global mission. And today we are speaking about shifts in demographics. And we are asking the question, what are emerging demographics? And so we're speaking about a large range of data. And so I would like us to begin by just zooming out a little bit and looking at the big picture. How have demographics of the global population changed since the 1950s? And where are the projections for 2050 and beyond that? I really appreciate this question, Jason. Zooming out is always really helpful to see the larger picture before we begin asking how this is affecting Christianity. So when we consider global demographics, when we zoom out, I think there's really two main stories. First, since the middle of 1900s to now, the demographic story can be summarized by what I might call the rise of Asia. The past 70 years have seen this real exponential growth of population all across Asia. Eastern and Southern Asia have grown and is now predicted to peak in about the next five years, actually now before beginning to decline. But Central and Southern Asia is expected to continue to grow until around 2070. That's really the first story. And the second story is a story that is current and emerging now. It's a story of global demographics taking the forefront of our attention. So around 2020, we crossed a threshold where there are more people in sub-Saharan Africa than in Europe and North America combined. Wow. And this is really just the beginning of this story of Africa. So the next 50 years, you would say, if the last 50 years of the rise of Asia, the next 50 years really could be summarized as the rise of Africa. The demographic growth in Africa is beginning to outpace Asia, and it's anticipated that sub-Saharan Africa will become the world's most populous region sometime between 2050 and 2070. If we kind of put this in a little different way, if we look at the top three most populous countries predicted in 2050, it'll be India, then China, then Nigeria. And so in the report, you focused in on three major areas, three demographic changes and shifts that have effect that are affecting global demographics. And as we look into 2050, the one being global aging, the other being regional youth, and the third being the new middle class. 
I'd like us to begin our conversation as we dive into the data a little bit to chat about global aging. Could you share some of the major trends related to this demographic shift and maybe just explain what do we mean when we're speaking about global aging? Our world has really seen amazing advances in medicine, availability of food, clean water, safety, and all of these trends have allowed humanity to live longer, generally speaking. So for the majority of the world, the average age of humans is getting older. Now, this is particularly true in parts of the world where birth rates have dropped, moving the average. So this is generally occurring in the global West and portions of East Asia. So when you look at the population growth trends broken down by age, when we talk about global aging, we're often talking about 65 plus. This demographic of 65 plus is taking a major turn upwards and soon will become the second most populous age group in the world. Now this growth of aging population is having, and as you can imagine, will have lots of effect on our world from healthcare needs, to infrastructure changes, to needed growth of societal support, immense amount of ramifications to this. But this is a key demographic trend that Christians need to be aware of as well. Within the evangelical church, there's a really an important emphasis that we placed on reaching and discipling the youth. And that's great. However, this is not the same as emphasizing and reaching and discipling and caring for the aging. So this is really emerging and becoming a major gap for the Great Commission and a gap that's only going to get bigger and bigger without focused attention. And we can't speak about aging in the West without addressing substantial rise in youth populations in the global South. Could you share some of the data about global youthfulness and the potential implications of this on the world stage? As we just observed, much of the world is aging in a significant way. But as you said, Jason, there are one particular, there is one particular global region where just the opposite is happening. In Central and Southern Africa, there's a huge youth population. Approximately 40% of the population in 2022 in Africa is under the age of 15. This is huge when compared to Europe, let's say, where it's just about 15% are under the age of 15. So this African youth is driving the rise of Africa in years to come. But it's also important to note that while African youth is a major demographic story, if we zoom out a little bit like we're doing here, there's actually a broader understanding here and a broader global south that's another headline. Just can you believe that 90% of young people in the world live in the global south? Oh. 90%. Wow. Right, let that sink mm. in. So there, there's a major change and a major demographic story here, both with youth, African youth, but also generally speaking, uh, global South youth. It is fascinating to think that 90% of the youth population is in the global South. It gives opportunity and it has challenges that we'll get to in our discussion. But I want us to go to that third category just for a brief moment. And we're speaking about the new middle class. Another major trend involves the growing economic equality around the world. Could you unpack this for us, highlighting some growth um, and where the major disparities still exist within the world? Over the last 30 years, the world has really done an amazing job of reducing poverty around the world. The number of people living in extreme poverty has reduced from over 2 billion people in 1990 to under 1 billion people in 2019. We've overhalfed it. When we have seen this largest reduction of poverty in Asia and East Asia experiencing this, this largest reduction of poverty. That's really only half the story here, reduction of poverty, because the other side of the story, when you add the growth of urban settings and regional economies, over half the world now, as of 2018, is in the middle class or wealthier. And this is really just a starting line, as, as amazing as that is, half the world being in the middle class or, wealth or wealthier. Over the next few decades, 
we expect that several billion more individuals, billion more individuals are going to join the middle class. Billions. And interestingly, the growth of this middle class is primarily in Asia. About 88% of all the new middle class members are going to be Asian, primarily, again, living in these urban settings. So this is a huge demographic shift. It'll have lots of implications for global economies and for global Christianity as well. You know, Matt, as you're speaking, I'm thinking about how these three shifts play into each other's hands and the opportunities and the challenges that the evangelical church are going to have to face as we go into, as we lead towards 2050, that being a goal and that being a focus. I think of your conversation about sub-Saharan Africa having a major youth population and how the middle class is growing in Asia, but it's not necessarily growing in Africa. So we've got a large young population growing up in poverty, which has major implications for, especially with many of them being Christians and growing up in Christian environments, we have a lot to face as an evangelical church. So I'm interested to hear from you as you've been going through this data and you've been processing it. What type of questions should the evangelical church be asking of itself as we think toward 2050? You summarize it well. The evangelical church is really facing a series of new frontiers here which brings up a host of questions, too many to answer today, but there, there are some that are emerging perhaps first time in our memory or our generation's memory questions that we need to be asking. So let me offer maybe three here in some or in brief. So the, as the global power and center of the church, as we observed in previous episodes, it's no longer located in the West. And much of the global demographics will no longer be located in the West as a center. So we need to ask, as we have in previous episodes, what does a polycentric church look like? And I'm returning to that question because it's not only a major question for the church, but now also for the globe with these demographic changes. What does a polycentric church and what does a polycentric world look like? Another question that I think is important to ask is, as the population is generally aging, we need to ask, what does it actually mean to evangelize and disciple aging populations? This is something that hasn't received a lot of attention in the evangelical church, but is such an important question for us now and moving forward. I think the third question here that needs to be asked is, as the world is seeing this dramatic increase of a new global middle class, again, we need to ask, how do we minister effectively to a middle class, which is very different than ministering or reaching to the poor? All major questions and new frontiers for us to explore and attend to. And so we have lots of questions, but we also have a lot of opportunities that lie before us as the evangelical church. What opportunities and challenges do you believe the evangelical church has as we approach 2050? The opportunities and challenges ahead of the church are really ripe with possibilities. But also these particular challenges are going to be, frankly, quite hard because it's going to be challenged the way that we have operated so long in the evangelical church. So for example, the global Christian church and especially in evangelicalism, we've put a lot of focus on reaching youth and reaching poor, which are both worthy emphasis and both worthy activities. But yet, currently, at an accelerating rate, the world is getting older and wealthier. So are we willing as a church to recognize these changes and make significant steps towards learning new ways to reach and minister, perhaps moving some of our emphasis from where we put it for so long and shifting it over to match the world so that we can minister to the aging or minister to middle-class individuals. This is going to take fundamental changes in the way we do things. And so it's going to be hard, but if we can do this, the opportunities are amazing. 
I like what you're saying earlier about this idea of us approaching this from a polycentric point of view. A lot of the data has regional implications. And so I would love to hear from you as you consider the regional implications of some of the demographic shifts happening on the global stage, which regional churches should be paying attention to these stats and why should they be paying particular attention to this? You know, we're talking a lot about global trends and we will continue on this podcast to talk about global trends. But remember, all this works itself out at the regional level, at the local level, at the local church level. So there are multitude of realities, parallel realities that exist with that. And in many ways, each region, as you've seen, has its own set of local shifting realities. So the report will provide some regional reflections on these. Obviously, it's too large for a, a short question today to understand the totality of each region. But I may actually just take the last second here and ask whether any region at all can ignore any of these global shifts. Mm. These are such huge global demographic shifts that they will change our world. And in that sense, they will affect every region. So Matt, we're going to have to bring this part of the podcast episode to a close. But before we conclude, what key takeaway or thought would you like to leave with our audience? There is so much here. And I thank you for a short time here, Jason. But as you can imagine, there's so much depth. And so I point everybody to the report. But maybe let me leave you with this thought. When we talk about shifting demographics, it can challenge our current way of operating in the church. Yet we have to remember that we are called to serve and witness to the world and, and our world is changing. So perhaps our ministries need to change as well. Well, with that closing thought, Matt, truly appreciate your time. Appreciate the effort that you put in, you and your team for putting this report together. Till next time. Yeah, thank you, Jason. To explore the shift in more detail, we are joined by Pearl Gunter. Pearl is a Lausanne Global Catalyst for Children, a filmmaker and storyteller, the director of Your Vision, and the Apnao Foundation, which seeks to advocate for the cause of vulnerable children. Pearl has a passion for reaching and raising up the next generation. So let's dive into our interview with Pearl Ganter. Pearl, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jason. Great to be here. It's really an honor to have you on the show. Today, we are exploring one of the global shifts mentioned in the State of the Great Commission report, connected to emerging demographics, and specifically, we're going to be discussing the shifts in the global youth populations. Now, you have spent a large part of your life and ministry trying to reach and empower the next generation. And I'm really looking forward to hearing your insights on how the global church can do that more effectively. But before we dive into the State of the Great Commission Report's findings, I'd like to give our listeners an opportunity just to hear part of your story. So Pearl, could you tell us about your journey? How did you come to form a passion for the next generation. Specifically, could you share with us how you went from being a filmmaker to becoming involved in empowering children with the Lausanne movement? Yeah, I think my journey into ministry started when I was 10 years old. And somebody empowered me to share the gospel and also use my skills. So right from when I was 10, I used to write skits and dramas and use it to build our church or for church activities. So this is something that I grew up with. And I always wanted to travel and be a blessing to the nations. And it was in Cambodia when I was in my early 20s. That's where I met with the CBN, Christian Broadcasting Network. They recruited me to work on a film with them. And it was just exciting to see in 98 how God was using media to touch people's life. 
And I felt it is a wonderful tool and we need to take it. Now, back then, not uh, everybody from the ministry background appreciated being mm -hmm. in media. So it was a tough journey just to convince everybody that it was a creative tool and something that we need to use it. But yeah, since 98, almost 26 years now, God's just opened doors for us to create a lot of programs. And the best part is empowering young people, especially teenagers, to create their own content. Now, that has been very fulfilling. We've been in more than 45 countries, just empowering people to create their own content using filmmaking tools, using drama skills to grow in the Lord, to read the word, and also to reach out to others. So yeah, it's been a fulfilling journey. That's truly inspiring, Phil. And I think it's so fascinating how your experience began when, you know, the church didn't appreciate it. So now we are in a point where everyone is creating media, maybe not high quality media, but the next generation, it is what all of them are doing. They're creating content on a continuous basis. And in many ways, you are a forerunner to that. I could imagine that you would be truly empowering to them as they create their own content. Now, you have been involved in numerous next generation ministries. Are there any specific initiatives that stand out to you that you feel have made a difference and would inspire our listeners? Yes, I think empowering teenagers is one of the best things that has happened so far because they were able to create the content. They learned to visualize the scriptures. They were mm -hmm. able to, especially in West Africa, these children were able to learn to read on their own, form groups and teach their peers. Now, several of those teenagers are uh, become media professionals. Some of them have joined college to study more on uh, communications or to become a videographer. Some of them have used these skills to have like summer camps or to even plan churches. So it's been very rewarding to see them grow in the past seven to eight years. We've started this kind of trainings in the year 2010. So uh, over the years, we have seen so many children really know, learn how to use their, their skills or even find their place in the kingdom work. So that's been very fulfilling. And also, I think with some of the projects that we were doing, especially media projects to bring in an awareness about children. That has been very rewarding. Recently, we launched a film called I Too Need a Family, and that was amazing. We had more than half a million views on it. And it just broke the barriers about that children need family. So these are some of the basic rights of a child, and it was not communicated so well, especially among the Christian, you know, atmosphere. So we were able to bring out such films and programs. So it is, yeah, has been really good. Thank you. That's truly inspiring. And what I'll do is I'll link to that film on the description for this podcast so that our viewers can go check out what you've created there as well. I'm glad that you gave us a bit of context about the kind of initiatives that you've done. Just even before we dig into, you know, the details of some of the Great Commission Report findings. But I would like us to pivot to discuss some of those findings from the State of the Great Commission Report, which is highly relevant to your work. Now, the report states that 90% of the world's young people reside now in the global south. That's, for me, that just, it's mind-blowing. Now, how do you interpret those findings, especially in the context of youth dependency in those regions? So there's, there's 
a massive growth within the youth populations in global south. I'm thinking specifically sub-Saharan Africa, where a majority of that growth is. But within sub-Saharan Africa, there is also a huge dependency of these youth on support from governments and from churches and from nonprofit organizations simply just to, to survive. How do you interpret those findings as they are stated in the State of the Great Commission report? 90%, wow, it's a great potential to be tapped. If the global church do not change their priorities soon and make changes in their plans, agendas, and budgets, we will lose this generation. These young people need to be reached, they need to be discipled and empowered because they're amazing. And every time I interact with teenagers or young people, it's just so exciting because they want to make a difference because they see that potential. And I totally agree with them because someone invested in me when I was 10. And I could see how that set a foundation in my life to achieve things at a very young age. And when I could do it, I know this present generation have better tools than I did and they can be of great impact. And even when we had conversations like this, we had brought in children, teenagers from all over the world on Zoom, and they spoke to each other. Some of the conversations they had, they said they didn't know how to share their faith or they didn't know how to reach out to their friends. And this is a big concern. We need to be listening to them. So when we had discussions with parents and with pastors, this was not in any of their list. Simple things like most of the parents usually say, okay, they talk about obedience. Now in Africa context, it was almost always about children need to obey. And in the Indian context, it was more about they need to study, they need to, you know, it, just those important things that are necessary for career growth or family priorities. Only those were the concerns for parents. And for the churches, it was more like we want them to come regularly. We want them to participate in the church. But when we brought these findings and told them, this is what your children are talking about, that they want to learn how to share their faith, it really baffled the parents and uh, the church leaders. So they want to share. They want to know how to use their tools. They want to walk the faith. And they want people to walk along with them. So yes, I believe that young people have to be reached, discipled and empowered so they can do that with their peers and those younger to them. I love that you connected it to potential. I think of sub-Saharan Africa. It is becoming the epicenter of global Christianity. And the majority of those are young people. And you mentioned that these young people have a desire to share their faith. And so in light of that, in light of that untapped opportunity, what do you think the global church should focus in on? You mentioned a few things, but I'd love if you could maybe unpack that a little bit. How can the global church participate and like, add value to this next generation? There are many things we can do. Basically, the younger generation are more into building their skills or using their skills to have businesses or to showcase their value and worth. And if you look at media right now, at this moment, it's more on the reels and they want to create their videos. They want to have these challenges that they want to be you know, part of. They like to be influencer. They want to be watched. So why not hone on that? Most of us are afraid, especially from the Christian background, they're afraid to allow the children to use media. 
but we shouldn't be afraid because they are growing with this technology. You cannot remove it from the system. So why not train them how to hone their skills, how to use this potential to, to be themselves? And how can they be themselves? And how can they be right unless they grow in their own faith? So the church has to come alongside. The parents have to come alongside, help them in their journey of knowing God, help them in their journey to identify what their skills are, what the opportunities are. And for that to happen, again, we have, go, we have to go backwards. It's like the parents have to know what their potential is, how important their family is. They have to understand that they are also part of the Great Commission. It's not as individuals, but as families, we are part of the Great Commission. And then they should bring in that kind of a discipline in their homes itself and encouraging their families to explore the word, to explore skills, to reach out in the community, to use their skills, these tools. Once they do that, it'll become a normal thing. It'll become part of their lives and they learn to be more responsible. The more restrictions we put, the more they want to explore in a wrong way. So we may as well bring them in and say, hey, here is a potential. You are important for the kingdom and God wants to use you at whatever age it is. Take this tool and let's do this together. Just standing by them releases them into their full potential. So I would encourage families to do that. I would also encourage the churches to come alongside. Empower families. They don't know what to do especially after COVID, it's just so frustrating because you're trying to be a nice parent, you're trying to work from home, and then you're trying to again get back into the society. There's like so much of changes that has happened and the media is everywhere and they're like all these OTT platforms, there's like uncensored programming all over the place. But if you really look at it, there's not much good Christian content out there. And I know the little children want to see this guy bring out this amazing content and they want to follow them. So why can't we do that? Why can't we get into those spaces and create such content where other families would want to see and learn from, other young people will want to see and learn from. So there is this potential. I think the church should be less afraid. And I think that when their members become more out there, they're out there in the society, they are there influencing the community. It will bring people to the church. It will, you know, it will definitely increase church growth. But it should be more, our attitude should become more of becoming facilitators, mm. more than leaders. We become facilitators. Once we get, change that perspective, it really helps us to empower others. Well, thank you for that. I, I think that what's really standing out to me, what you've just said, is that actually this is a discipleship issue within our churches and within our organizations. We need to disciple families with regards to media and reaching next gen. We need to disciple the next gen themselves. We need to disciple even pastors and church leaders so they can understand how to grow in this and to preach Christ through it. And so I'd like us to dovetail now to your background in media and filmmaking. You are the director or co-director of Your Vision. How have you leveraged media and filmmaking as a strategic tool for outreach 
especially considering in, in consideration of the next generation? Yeah, I mean, we've always done professional media training for young people, and I was pretty satisfied and content with that. And then a friend of mine, he said, why don't we teach filmmaking skills for children as a discipleship tool? And this was in 2010, and I thought it was absolutely impossible to do something like that. So we went to one of the slums, and these children never used a smartphone or even a digital camera. So it was a good pilot program for us, and I was totally convinced this program would fail. But my friend, he had all this media curriculum that you know we had put together, and obviously didn't work. But God just took over that training, and he just made us help us simplify. And we were able to connect with those children. And within three days, they were able to read the word. They were able to script from the stories, from the Bible, and they were able to film it. And not only that, they were able to connect that with their day-to-day life and identify the issues in their community, film that, and were able to showcase it all in one week. And that was one of my repentant moments. Trust me, I have many such. (laughs) And I said, okay, Lord, if this is what you can do, we have to just learn to flow with it. And when we started empowering children, and it's just so amazing because even children who were least interested in reading the word, once they started, you know, understanding that everything in the word is relevant to their life, it just opened up. See, what we do with the whole training, we read the word, we make them read the word, and then if any video is available, we let them watch that animation or life story or anything, a parable, we let them watch it and then again read the word. Then we make them script it, like identify what the characters are and then, um, you know, discuss everything in detail. So once we start getting them to look at the scripture and begin to visualize it, it just opens your mind. And they're like, whoa, this is something that I can do, or this is something that I can learn from and I can apply it to my life. So it's like they're answering their own questions. And it's just opening this whole doors to ask the relevant questions, to think, to able to connect with their friend. We usually connect, pair them up. So they're discussing with their friends. So this is something that needs to happen. It's part of discipleship. They should not be just the recipient. They should be able to contribute into the discussion. So this tool really helps them to do that. And we have seen children draw closer to the Lord. We have seen them repent of some of their ways. We have seen them really give their heart to the Lord and say, deal with some of the issues that they're going through or deal with issues in their family. Even simple things like caring for their environment. So we do something like, you know, what's in your frame? So they see what's in their frame. And then if there's an issue with their family, they say, okay, what can you do? And what does the Bible say about it? So they're able to refer back. They're able to find solutions and they know what is in their frame. So these are some things that are simple yet so profound. And I love media 26 years and it's still so powerful. And we've seen this happen through Kids Up. So Kids Up is nothing but it's a simple understanding of taking your skills and connecting it with the scriptures and sharing it with others. So no matter what skill, for me, it is filmmaking. 
for someone, it could be drama. We had people use even coding. They brought a group of children who are interested in coding. They violated coding. They found, I mean, it's all about relationships. Discipleship is all about relationships. They would have issues and then they would bring in the scriptures and then talk through those issues. And it became like teachable moments. So I would just ask, what is in your hand? What skill do you have? Anybody and everybody can empower a child. The reason God gave you a skill, God gave you a career, it's not just to be an influence in your workplace, but also in your community. You can use those skills to influence and impact your family and the families around you. Well, Pearl, I think I can end the podcast right there because that was that was challenging. And I, I really hope that our listeners take that to heart. I know I am. And what I loved about the examples that you used, and you used this word, you know, you, you said it, this is simple and profound, and it really is for us to be able to use media and scripture to engage the next gen on their own issues, on their own terms and their own passions. It's a beautiful way to do ministry. And I think, you know, that the intersection between culture and community and church, it's just beautiful the way that you've gone ahead. I love your passion. Could you share another example from your work with media, which has helped you reach and empower the next gen? So, yeah, we uh, did a TV series and it was mostly catering for children. But we talked about these few children who formed their own groups and they wanted to help and make a difference in the community. Now, we didn't really instruct children to do anything. We just showcased few children making a difference in the community. And the response that we received was incredible. So this children's show ended up becoming a family show. And even when the children were not able to watch it, the parents or the grandparents would watch and tell the story <laughs> to them. And they would write to us. One example that really touched my heart was uh, there was this little kid who was saving up money to buy a cricket gear. You know, we are a huge cricket fan in India. And he saw one of the episodes and he talked about how this child took the pocket money and bought blankets to give it to those, you know, on the street. And it was during winter time. And he went and told his parents and he said, I want to take this money that I've been saving up to buy a cricket kit to buy blankets and help the wow. community. Oh. And seeing him, there were other friends also who came together and all of them pulled in their money and brought these blankets and went and distributed in the neighborhood. It's just amazing what the kids can do. If we just give them ideas and if we just show them the direction. It's just one of the examples of many, even like breaking taboos, like in another country, like in Uganda, some of the kids even came together and they went to the mayor and talked about foster care, talked about some of the challenges they faced in orphanages and things like that. So how did they get that confidence? It's not that they don't have a voice. They have a voice, but they don't have a platform. They don't have somebody to say, hey, your voice is important and you need to be out there and speak. We want to speak on behalf of children most of the time. But trust me, they have a voice, they have an opinion, and we just, again, have to stand as a facilitator and allow them to do 
what they believe is right, allow them to be that voice, express themselves, and they can make a huge difference. So, yeah, I feel yeah, some of these contents that we have created and also help children create is really changing and transforming not only their lives, but the lives of families and the communities. Wow, that, that was such a powerful example. For the global audience listening, I mean, cricket is a massive deal in India. And we are currently in the Cricket World Cup. And my home country and India, so South Africa and India, are versing each other this coming week in November. Uh, so I look forward to that clash. <laughs> but we'll keep that <laughs> off the podcast. <laughs> so for, the, for, this, for this young boy to, to use his money to help the poor instead of buying a cricket bat, it's a powerful example and shows the impact that you're doing. Could you tell us about the Apnao Foundation? It's another organization that you, you have founded that advocates for vulnerable children. What was the driving force behind founding that organization? You know, usually people start an organization and do projects, but for us, it was the other way around. So while we were doing a research for one of our programs, we realized that children, especially those living in orphanages, don't even know their birthday. And they get so sad when people come and celebrate their birthdays in the orphanages, which is a normal trend here. People think it is a wonderful thing to go and celebrate birthdays in, in an orphanage, but they don't realize that most of these kids feel feel that they don't have a birthday, feel that they don't have a family to celebrate with. And just speaking to them sparked this idea of why don't we communicate this to the larger audience? And then that just ended up being, uh, we brought in several aspects of it and saying, just to give an idea to people about what a child goes through, especially living in an orphanage or in India we call childcare institutions. Children need families. Children need to belong somewhere. So we came up with a film, a short film, about 15 minutes film. And we went to the church. But church didn't understand it in the sense because uh, they're like, okay, they're at orphanage and things like that. But, you know, they didn't take us seriously. And then we went to uh, the, our film fraternity and the advertising fraternity and they loved the concept and they backed us up. We did the launch and just within a few months, we just saw a huge response to the film. We were able to release it on different platforms, in different channels, and some of the channels have received more than half a million views. The government was able to use this film as part of a training program for their social workers. Now, this was amazing and people wanted to get in touch with us and take it further. So we are like, okay, how do we do that? And we had to <laughs> create this foundation to support the campaign. So this campaign is still the main focus of the foundation, bringing in awareness, because we really believe, my husband and I, we believe changing the perspective of people is very important to bring in transformation. And that's what we are doing with our foundation as well, more on advocacy, using media to bring in that kind of truths out. So we are working on an animation film now, talking about safety of a child. A child doesn't have to wake up and think about their safety. We are supposed to create that safe environment. And so we are working on that. So there are a few of the films and campaigns that we are working towards through up now. But yes, it's been a wonderful uh, journey. 
things that we learn. I thought it would just be a campaign we'll do for a year or maybe two years max. But as we were looking at the issues of children, it's just a deep ocean. And we cannot shy from, we cannot say it's done. It's not done until the cycle of oppression and the cycle that they are going through is broken. We won't see a real child flourishing in their environment. And we are still committed to see what we can do, create more advocacy tools to bring in awareness so that all of us, up now means embrace, take responsibility for. We elders, we have to take, and not only us, everybody in the community or everybody in any official positions, in the government, in the churches, in religious places, everywhere, all of us, including families, need to take responsibility of creating a safe environment for a child, creating a childhood and a family for a child so they will flourish. That is our mandate. That is what we need to do, creating a safe environment. So that's what Up Now is about. Yeah, still <laughs> going on in that area of bringing transformation in the lives of children. Wow, thank you for sharing that. It's really an inspiring story. And I love the meaning behind Up Now, meaning embrace. And I was, I was challenged as well to hear how the church did not embrace, you know, that, that initial vision. What words of advice or encouragement could you give to ministry leaders, whether it be church, nonprofit, workplace, to help them embrace the next generation, to embrace the challenge of diving into the deep ocean of children and helping them connect with God and to grow in their discipleship? Children are not just consumers. <laughs> but they are producers. That's what we would like to say in our film world. The current scenario is such that mm. they are producers, not just of content, but they are equally involved and engaged to bring transformation. This is something that we need to understand. This is something the church needs to understand. The children have the potential to be change makers. And once we understand that, it's very important for us to uh, think beyond just drama in the church or think occasional huge productions where children are involved or teaching them some musical instruments so they can sing in Sunday school. No, it's beyond that. It's beyond that. This is all good. Music is good. Helping them think creatively. All this is arts. All this is way of expressing themselves. Let us look at a wholesome approach to a child. Children have all kinds of skills. Now, children, when I mean children, it is under 18. So I include teenagers also in this. They have varied skills. Are we giving them a platform to showcase their skills? A student who is excellent in maths and science, does he belong in the church? Does he belong in this environment? Of course. God has given that ability and that skill and that passion for a certain thing. He can use those skills. But are we thinking beyond? Are we thinking out of the box and in the box, you know, to uh, help uh, create that atmosphere where they can come with whatever personality they have, whatever brilliance they have, or whatever weaknesses they have, and find a place to serve in the kingdom. So I'd say the church has to become more facilitators and they need to empower and engage children. I would not mm. say there are next generation or they're yet to be leaders. They are leaders right now. 
in their whatever age group they are in because we can't go to their friends we can't reach mm. out we can't speak the language of their friends but they can so why don't we empower them why don't we come alongside them and show them their value and their worth also i think the keyword is two keywords one engagement and the other one is empowerment empower them engage them so that they can use their potential and do everything that god has called them to do no matter what age they are wow such invaluable advice bill we're nearing the end of our time together so i would like to talk about what the future holds for you and your work as we look toward the future do you have any projects or initiatives on the horizon designed to meet the unique needs of the next generation of the children um of this generation and you know how can people get in touch with you how can people continue this conversation on and learn more about you and your work i think children love to get engaged in creative ways and we have tried filmmaking we have tried drama and now we are trying audio drama project basically is trying to connect children to scripture engagement so they'll be able to read the word and also hear in a dramatized form so it's not boring stuff for them to hear but more engaging and challenging them with audio visual experience so though it is an audio drama but we're trying to do it in a way that they'll be able to visualize it so that is an exciting project we are working on and i'm sure the young people love it and we're looking at different platforms to release it and hopefully we'll be on podcasts and radio and also through various apps in different ways for them to engage so i'm looking forward to that i think connecting children to the word is important because it is connecting them to god we may be there we may not be there technology will be there things might change we don't know but connecting children to the word is very important and i believe this audio drama will do that and uh, you can follow me on all the social media platforms If you see Pulganta, you'll find me there on any of the platforms or my email is also best way to get in touch with me. So I'm on Instagram and on Facebook or on LinkedIn. You can always Google Pulganta and find me. Wow, Pearl, what an incredibly enriching conversation that we've had today. The insights you've shared about the challenges and opportunities facing the next generation, not just for the global south, but around the world are invaluable. And of course, the work you're doing with Apnau foundation as just another layer to that. And so I want to thank you for your time that you've given to this podcast to our audience. Thank you for your insights. Thank you for adding value to us. We truly appreciate you. Thank you so much, Jason. Thank you for this opportunity. Blessing to you. Thank you. I hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Lazan Movement podcast. If you've liked today's episode, won't you take a moment to give us a rating and review and please give us a shout out on social media. As we head into Christmas and the new year season, We're going to take a short break from exploring the global shifts that are impacting global missions. Instead, over the next few weeks we will share some bonus interviews that we recorded at the Lausanne 2023 Africa Gathering. Until next week, cheers.